This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I am here with Christopher Ernst. Hey there. Uh, Taylor Bell. Hey. Octavian Graves. Hello. And Ian Burton. Hello. Who this time does not sound like he's talking on a cell phone because he's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, if you are talking on a cell phone, that's pretty impressive, actually. Got one of those newfangled space cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly the same group as it was last time, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It might it's, be. I think it's it's going to be a related, pseudo-related conversation, too, I think. So. We shall see. We're going to talk about Graham Hancock's new, uh, is it eight parts? Yeah. Yep. Uh, series on Netflix, which is called Ancient Apocalypse. And uh, particularly about some of the criticisms of it. I, I So the thing with me and Graham is that I might not be doing this show if it wasn't for Graham Hancock. Right. A uh, short version of that is I hated talk radio. Uh, got into Graham because I, I saw the end of probably the last time he had any kind of series out, which was like in the early 2000s for the Underworld stuff. And I would leave my TV on like History or Discover or whatever channel it was and like be doing other stuff, listening to music, but I'd have the subtitles on. And uh, it, it popped up about the, you know, the pyramids being aligned to Orion. And I was like, wait, what? What's this? You know, and turned it on. I'm like, who is this guy? Who's Graham Hancock? And uh, got to see the third part of that. I caught it at the end of the second part. Got to see the third part. Uh, went to a New Age bookstore. I had no idea he was a bestseller. So I figured I'm going to have to go to an obscure bookstore to find any of his stuff. All they had was Heaven's Mirror, which is a beautiful book. Uh, his wife did all the photography for it. It's a large size book with tons of photos, and it just goes around the world showing how all these ancient monuments are aligned to uh, zodiac alignments and such, and solstice and stuff like that. So that was my first exposure to Graham. And then at some point, I was following him on whatever. I don't know if it was MySpace or what, but he put up a, a torrent with all his coast to coast appearances on it. And I had hated talk radio, but I'm like, or no, I guess, I guess first he, he announced he was going to be on Coast to Coast. And I said, but I don't like talk radio, but I want to hear Graham. And I was all, you know, I don't know what to do. And finally I said, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll find a station. I tuned it in, listened to the whole thing. We couldn't get enough of listening to him. So then I, then he put up that torrent and I kind of savored them for a while and then went, well, there's Coast to Coast. Is, are there other shows like this that he's on? And so I found like Red Ice Radio when it was doing stuff like this rather than the the extreme right, right wing politics they do now, um, if they're still a thing, um, and a few other shows, and then started expanding like who else are on these shows. And the next thing I know, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. And at some point, I was listening to a very bad podcast. And I'm like, well, why does this person get to talk to these people when they don't even know what they're talking about and they're not paying attention to their guests? I, I want to talk to these people. So when I started Where Did the Road Go, it was, I said, if I get to talk to Graham Hancock, Andrew Collins, and Robert Schock, even if everyone hates the show, I'll be happy. That was my criteria for success right there. And uh, I've never had Graham on, but I have talked to him. 
We did the John Anthony West telethon trying to raise money for John before he died. Um, so I got to talk to him a little bit. He did say he would come on the show and that I should contact him when the new book came out, which was two books ago. And I, I, he gave me his direct email, and I never messaged him. I may do so now that this documentary is out uh, because I'm sure he could use some positive publicity. But uh, he's also very busy, so I don't know. And, of course, I've had uh, uh, Randall Carlson on numerous times on this show long before he was connected with Graham. But uh, if it wasn't for Graham Hancock, I don't know that I would be doing this. Yeah, so Absolutely. That's totally fair. He uh, he definitely has a, a special place in my world. Not that I agree with him on everything, but I think he's more or less on the right track with stuff. Yeah, sure. I think that you know uh, he's his uh, the the important thing I I feel at least about Graham Hancock's work, and I know that there are a lot of people that really dislike him and feel that he's uh, you know um, for the most part I think. Uh, uh, <laughs> exploiting uh, native civilizations, espousing white supremacy, all this other stuff yeah, that we can get into. Nonsense. But he's uh, he's you have to read his books in yeah. order to, to to talk about what he because a lot of the ways in which I think he ex, expresses himself in you know the series that we're gonna dis- that we're discussing, or even you know on certain you know podcasts and stuff like that that he goes on. You know, like Rogan, which I don't think necessarily by association he's uh, uh, doing himself any favors. You know, <laughs> say what you want about Rogan, uh, but I, I don't think so because Rogan has some pretty terrible ideas on there, along yeah, with some really yeah. good ones. And um, but I really do think you have to read the books. And so anybody that's making giving critiques of him, I think that you can't until you actually read the books, even if you feel like there's something that's coming through. Uh, you know, from this new series or anything like that. Um, I, I really encourage people to read the books before they come to a final conclusion. Agreed. There are a lot of books. Uh, we were trying to figure this out. I didn't look it up. Yeah, Off yeah, the yeah. top of my head, there's, specifically, a, there's, there's at least eight books. And the one specifically, I think, that Ancient Apocalypse deals with, uh, well, one of the more recent ones, which is, is it, I'm going to confuse it with, um, uh, Whitley Strieber's newest book. It's not a new world. That's Whitley no, Strieber's. No, no. It's, uh, what's it called? Uh, time, something before America uh, before America before. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That was the last one that I read fingerprints of the gods, uh, which is, you know, his first book, uh, um, or his first book on the subject. Uh, and then the other one, the magicians of the gods. Um, and what else? Well, so I've so got his he, website pulled up. He has, uh, he has yeah, the, he, the sign and the seal, which sign and the seal. Yeah. His book about looking for the lost Ark of the covenant, which was his first right. foray into uh, this type of stuff, like the, the unexplained, uh, type yeah. of stuff. And he tracked it to Ethiopia and yeah. had some pretty good evidence that it could be in Ethiopia. There is some, yes. Yeah. So, Isn't it like the world's oldest Bible in Ethiopia? I, Ethiopia? I believe so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think the they were also I... one of the only ones that had certain books of the Bible preserved. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, he yeah. He has mm-hmm. 23 books listed on his website. 23? Mm-hmm. Well, he, he did write some stuff prior to getting into he's this. He's a journalist, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, a journalist. They all, yeah, the, some of them are, are quite different, but a lot of yeah, them seem to be dealing with fiction on there, too. Oh, yeah, and he has all his fiction. That's true. He has at least fiction, six, yeah. six or eight books that are fiction. Okay. Because he got tired of being attacked every time he wrote anything. Yeah. So he decided to kind of take it easy and write some fiction, but of course all his fans are like, but we don't want fiction from you. Oh, yeah, I see. You're the master game, war god. Yeah. Those seem to be uh, 
I don't know about the Master King, but War God definitely looks like a novel. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, I think two trilogies or something like that. Mm, okay, but he he did the Sign of the Seal. They did Fingerprints of the Gods, which became a bestseller, and that's where he started getting attacked from the archaeological community. Yep. And after that, there was Heaven's Mirror, which I already mentioned. Uh, there's a book on Mars, which is uh, I can't remember what it's called. That's the one I've never I've it's never read. The that Mars one. Mystery. Yeah. That's it. So he deals with the structures on Mars, but more importantly. He deals with the problem of near-Earth objects potentially colliding with Earth. So most of that book is talking about the danger of asteroids and comets and stuff and how little we know about the the area around our planet and around our solar system that could endanger us. He goes into a good bit of that. I mean, that's more or less what the show is about. It kind of leads up to that idea. Right, and that's where he started is in that Mars book. So okay. Then uh, there's Underworld, which is him diving on these ancient sites that would have been above water during the last ice age. And the funny thing is, some of those sites at the time, you know, he was he was again attacked for bringing this stuff out, and now they're acknowledged. But he's still not acknowledged for being right. the one who said, "Hey, these sites are here." Yeah. Um, and then there was Supernatural, which is where he started getting into the hallucinogens and showing the connections between the cave art, shamanistic stuff ayahuasca the ufo phenomena all that stuff it's a fantastic book but there's all of his books are dense because he goes through great pains to show you where he's coming up with every single bit of data they are extensively footnoted and i mean and that's another reason he wanted to do the fiction is he just wanted to write without having to back everything up and you know tenfold right and still get criticized for it right and then um, yeah and then the two newer books there America before and uh, Morning of the Magicians was that the other one? Uh, Magicians of the Gods. Yeah, and Magicians also, of the Gods. Morning uh, of Magicians. Visionary. Visionary. Yeah. Okay. That looks. Morning like of Magicians is another. It's a whole other show. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, he has he has a lot. He's a very proficient writer. It's funny because he was stoned most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Yeah, he he, he was he as he put it, he abused uh, pot. and was just literally stoned nonstop and was afraid not to be. And after mm-hmm. our ayahuasca trip, it basically said to him, stop doing, you know, stop doing it. So he did yeah. and found out he could write 10 times as fast, not stoned. Yeah. And one of the I things think that a lot of that, a lot of, you know, the sort of stigma that in, at least in mainstream media comes with the fact that he's talking about ayahuasca, UFOs and, you know, cave paintings and that, that like, you know, people just, nobody can go there. Yeah. And I, yeah. That it's, and it's unfortunate to, because I think that, you know, I admire the fact that and i know this is a criticism that some people have of him is that he tries to sort of like glom all of these books and his theories together into one super theory but i think he's doing um you know he's looking at these threads and connections and he's finding where they do connect and i think that there's some some real you know uh there's some there is something that comes out of this that is positive when you just explore these ideas, which is all he's really asking. <laughs> yeah. And again, he never states that he's a scientist or anything like that. He very no. rightfully calls yep. himself a journalist. Um, and he states that right at the beginning of Ancient Apocalypse. He's, you know, and this is available on Netflix for anyone who's not aware. Um, mm-hmm. But right at the beginning, he states very clearly he is a journalist. He's just exploring this stuff. Um, the And he talks... He talks about how people refer to him as a, a pseudoscientist or even a pseudo-archaeologist. Yeah, yeah. The first thing that comes up on Wikipedia is that he's a pseudo-archaeologist or pseudoscientist or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's and he's had literal like documentaries done that were basically character assassinations on him. Mm. Now, now, we- now, if you look at Robert Shock, I mean, and Robert's the one that redated the Age of the Sphinx using geological data, hard evidence, and you know, he told me, and I can't remember if he said it on the show when he was on or not, but. He flat out said that archaeologists, Egyptologists in particular, spit on him for this information, for bringing this stuff to light. But it it threatens their worldview and it threatens yeah. their sort of established narrative of what happened, which is yeah. it's it's really ironic. And I'm sure this will come up again, that that basically flies in the face of everything that that science is actually trying to do. To do. I was going to ask, like, for the people who aren't aware, can we talk about what the archaeologists' theories are and what they are opposed to with Graham? Yeah, Because absolutely. I, maybe people are going to hear him talk about how archaeologists are, you know, throwing him under the bus and trying to bury him, but they may not know what the archaeologists' points are. Yeah, well, I'd like so, to explore that, too, and just seeing what is causing... What, so, do you, what do you guys think is the visceral negativity like as opposed to just a disagreement saying hey i don't agree with you but that visceral venomous almost campaign so graham's idea from looking at evidence is that at one point there was an advanced civilization on this planet now when he says advanced and in the series he's very clear he's not talking something like what we have with electronics and planes and stuff like that but at least right. a world uh, advanced uh, to a hunter gatherer society. Well, like beyond advanced. beyond hunter gatherer to the point where they can build these large structures across the world and had advanced right. astronomical mathematical knowledge, advanced in a different way than we are. Um, Correct. And that at the end of the ice age, there was a cataclysm, and this destroyed most of their civilization. And we have just a few remnants left, and it seems like there were these civilizers who went around early in our history and taught these things, these mathematics and astronomy and stuff like that, to some of these early cultures and sort of civilized them. And what archaeologists don't like is that archaeologists uh, are very Darwinian in this culture. You know, like there's there's no catastro- there's no cataclysms, uh, except for like maybe the one that wiped out the dinosaurs. Um, and everything progresses from lesser to more. And their, their other idea is uniformitarianism, which basically, and, and Graham explains this in the show too, but the, the concept that change happens over time very slowly. Right. So everything's gradual. Right. So the, yeah. I think specifically he talks about it in reference to the scablands and the, mm-hmm. the pre- prevailing theory with that is that lots and lots of water over a very long period of time caused these changes when right, yeah, basically right. what, what Graham and Randall are positing is that it probably was a huge, enormous amount of water very, very quickly. Right. And within that water were, you know, uh, it wasn't just water too. one. It mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, giant icebergs that were, you know, the size of uh, semi trailers full of rocks and stuff like that. It's right. This incredibly destructive, catastrophic, uh, uh, sudden event, like over a couple of weeks. Right. And there's probably things like tsunamis and all the things that come because that can affect weather as well. Well, yeah. His, that's, his that's ultimate good. theory being that it was, you know, the Perseid meteor, is it the Perseid or the, yeah, Perseid. yeah me, the one that we're in right now, meteor shower. Oh, wait, that is it that was, the Torrid meteor shower or? Meteor what are we in right now? I think we're in the Torrid. But I'm torrid. Not sure. Okay. The Torrid meteor shower right now. I'm sorry, I'm confusing those two. Yeah, but, uh, that's whichever common. one that's coming up again right now. I thought it was the Perseid that he was looking at, but it could be the Torrid. And that it was not just you know one big uh, strike; 
it was a bunch of smaller but still large strikes all around the northern hemisphere you know the certain area of the northern hemisphere and has there been like uh i guess we'll call them like official archaeologists that have looked into his theories and come up with either counter like you know evidential counterpoints or agreeing with him evidential counterpoints no i think i think it's they just cite no evidence yeah we should point out that it also it's not just Graham that has these ideas and is exploring these things. There are uh, there are actual, you know, archaeologists and geologists and multidisciplinary people who are doing science to, yes. to try to understand this stuff. And there have been papers published about things uh, like the Younger Dryas impact hypothesis. Yep. And what you know, you asked about like quote unquote official scientists, right? You know, people yeah. that, that are uh, supported mainstream. by, yeah, yeah, by the mainstream. Uh, as far as I know, um, with one paper in particular, uh, they basically had, had discovered that there were, I think it was essentially micro diamonds and other uh, evidence of some kind of massive impact event yeah. um, at, a, at a certain location. I don't remember the location off the top of my head, but to this the southwest, was, I believe, right? I'm not sure. You're, talking, you're not talking about the the site that he visited from the in uh in the series, are you? The Scablands? No, not the Scablands. Are you talking? You're not talking about the black uh the black oh, the black mat. I, I don't know specifically. Um, okay. this uh, this is stuff I, I've heard in Cosmographia, which is actually. Y'all are probably familiar with that podcast, but uh, that, the, the that Snake is, Brothers. That, yeah, Snake Brothers and Randall Carlson. Very, very yep. good yep. podcast for this stuff. And so this paper was published demonstrating what um, what they had found and, and why it, you know, it was possibly caused by some kind of an impact. And another group of quote-unquote scientists came out and, and tried to recreate the study, but basically botched it. And then you know published a paper saying that they didn't find the same stuff. And that uh, was was carried in the in in the news media essentially as as experts disprove younger Dryas impact hypothesis, and so a third group yeah. came by and did an independent uh, study on on the exact same materials and actually followed the mm-hmm. the original methods and did find the same things as the original paper. I think yeah. that paper is called the is it called the Firebrand paper? It's something yes. like that. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about this. Yep, yep. And that and has I, nothing I, to do with Graham. That's two scientists yes. who uh yeah. I can't remember their names, but yeah, they they did that a long time ago. That was like probably 20 years ago. Yep, yeah, something. And so the point is there's there's a lot of people or there are at least some people doing these kinds of explorations and Graham is definitely a part of that. And, you know, is, as he says, right, a journalist, he's, he's taking this, these concepts and this information and putting it into a digestible format for people to, to grapple with these ideas and try to understand what's going on. Yeah. A lot lot of ways he's sort of collating this data for people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Regardless of how we feel about his, his hypotheses or hypotheses, and if that, you know, his specific ideas are actually what happened, what can't be ignored is that all these things do exist. Like they, there are many mysteries and anomalies all across the planet that do have interconnected patterns and they exist, whatever the truth of it is, or, you know, if it's, it's one scientist or another giving them, that's interesting. And I think he has a point to say that they deserve to be looked at. Yes. And, I, you know, that's something I want to be, you know, I want to talk about is, you know, going against the mainstream obviously has a lot of pushback, you know, with a lot of venom towards him. But, you know, as you said earlier, the idea of science, you know, there's a mystery, there's something there. It is warranted to be investigated. 
whether we put a capstone and say we solved it or not, which I think can be a problem. But, yeah. you know, I think that's that's what I'm from where I am in his show and his work altogether and people like him. Uh, that's where I'm at. Like these things do exist. They are real. And, and some of them are anomalous in terms of what archaeologists have uh, come up with as an explanation of our history. Yeah, that's right. You've talked about this before. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a scientist that was kind of uh, presenting these kind of radical ideas, and they successfully buried him in his career. And then all of a sudden, they realized that he was right about everything. That's a lot of people over the years. Yeah, but there was one specifically. But yeah, like this there is a, a the guy a, who came up with the ton- tectonic plate theory was yeah. blackballed and buried, only to be you know have his theory reappear. 20 years later and be accepted. Yeah. So this is like a trend within academia. Yes. And it's, oh, yeah. It's, it's very disturbing, honestly, that the, the people that we trust as, uh, you know, the people who know things, these experts, and there's no, like, I, I'm not like against experts, the idea of experts, no. but that the people who are running the show, as far as our history are so willing to just throw away these ideas just because so, like, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's something that is important to bring up and, and Graham brings this up too a lot. This idea of you, you know, don't trust experts find out for yourself. And I think that there is a lot of truth in that, but I think at the same time, you also have to understand that there are people that have, you know, what you're talking about is more the, the problem of money, power and human, human greed and hubris. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, Absolutely. there are many experts out there and they're probably the ones you don't know about because they're not in positions of power and authority because, you know, uh, uh, being honest is not rewarded these days. And so the bigger problem being that you, we don't have the right experts that we're listening to. And, uh, you know, I strongly believe that. So I, I, I really want to make sure, at least on my part, that, you know, uh, I encourage people, yes, do your own research, but you should be looking to the experts that are really telling the truth. And it's going to be hard to find them, you, you know, especially <laughs> with the Internet. There is I mean, you know, and I know I'm going to sound like an old man, but there is so much disinformation out there. You have no idea uh, and you probably <laughs> are thinking some things are true that aren't and me included. Uh, so. You know, it's really important to be able to really the, the most important thing is being able to find multiple sources, figure out and extrapolate from that where you should be looking and what's going on. Um, definitely don't trust one source. And if it all sounds the same, you know, uh, you certainly should be looking uh, at more that more in finding, you know, uh, alternative arguments. It, it really Absolutely. I guess I get when I hear Graham talk about don't trust the experts and I know where he's coming from. But he's been burned so bad. He's like I, he's got a, a chip on his shoulder. I think that is kind of blinding him to you know how reactionary he might be. It, it certainly is influencing you know his state of mind and how he's producing things. And it, it could be stated that it's fair. But you're it's right fair. about the media and just you know the internet and how it's it's just a deluge of kind of a shallow soup. A lot of it has monetized incent incentives and. You know, I always tell people is read those articles that cite sources. I yeah, kind of take right. tongue in cheek any like, you know, buzz articles in general, but you know, especially ones that don't highlight a book or an article just so you can you should be able to follow those tracks, those sourced material to an actual book or a scientific article or, you know, to a paper where people are saying exactly where they've gotten this information. Because yeah. if they haven't, if they've made it up, it'll be clear because it won't go anywhere. 
or yeah. you'll see it. If you do the work, you'll see where it's coming from. It you just takes time. The, the people presenting the ideas just as much as you research the ideas that they're presenting. I think yeah. it's ideas should speak for themselves, but the people who follow them and come up with them and research them always color them a little bit. Sometimes, That's you know, nature. everybody's going to. But, you know, sometimes it's in a more negative way than necessary. And it's good to kind of be aware of that by looking and following the trail of crumbs that they left. And, and the problem with archaeology is the same as anything else. I mean, it is done by people. And people have their opinions, their beliefs, um, and their biases. And a lot and, of times those yeah. are unconscious biases. And if you spend, if you spend, and I think Graham has said this, you know, uh, uh, if you spend 12 years of your life, you know, studying for something, you're going to, it's going to become part of your identity. And if somebody is attacking that, you know, uh, something very specifically that you have been taught and based your entire career on, which is also based on your, you know, your financial stability and your identity, it, yeah. You're going to get defensive, even if they're making yep. sense. Yep. You know, if somebody if somebody were to come for film, I mean, I don't know how I could be threatened because the, the what I do, what I'm an expert in is so nebulous or so practical. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like I'm not threatened by the, you know, digital cinema, you know, or anything like that. Right. But it, it's, you know, if that were to happen or something, you know, to threaten my identity as a film professor. I'm sure that I would react in a defensive way because I'm an imperfect human, you know, um, so I understand that. But it's, you know, when you have the entire chorus of your peers feeling the same way, you become a mob. Oh, yeah. And it's like a lot of uh, the mainstream community, obviously not all of them, um, but it it, it does kind of smell like that same very human kind of high school attitude or once somebody has been selected to kind of be that scapegoat that just it becomes so easy for other people to color their opinions of everything about that person regardless of the merit or legitimacy yeah. of their work the I, human brain will sometimes just say you know they'll read something that's filled with perfectly fine evidence and it'll just skim it and say well that guy's nuts so you know and i you know you have to wonder how many people who are authorities follow that human behavior unconsciously when I was in so high school, I used to, uh, you know, I was the decked out metal guy. I used to wear my battle jacket every day. I had the most extreme band shirts. And then there was this kid that came in and he would wear like Slipknot or like Blackville Brides, which is the most, sur it's not even metal, really. It's like the most surface level stuff. And kids started calling him the metal kid. He was the metal kid of high school. And that used to drive me nuts because like, wait a minute. No, hold on. I'm like, do you see what I'm wearing here? And so unrelated, but I, I get it. Like, I understand. Meanwhile, the guy working in metallurgy class who just came up with something amazing and everybody ignores him. He's like, but I'm the metal kid. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I can kind of understand it from that perspective of when you like are very invested in something and then someone that you see coming in from a very surface level and then getting all that attention and then they become the authority when they haven't done the work. I, I can understand it from that perspective. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what 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 do you guys think are some of Graham's most compelling theories based on the evidence circumstantial or otherwise that he's presenting what, well, what do you guys think, I, I think in your minds i think the fact that we know and it's accepted science i mean as far as we know anything that during the last ice age the the sea levels were three to four hundred uh feet lower yeah which means since we see through historic you know through history through mankind we always build along the shore 
So if you have you know a civilization during the last ice age, they're going to build on areas that are now deep underwater. And yeah, he, he is, starts that off right in the right in the beginning. Yeah, and he has dove on sites and found sites underwater. Again, some of these weren't acknowledged at the time, but were later. And then when the when the tsunami hit, because um, he he doesn't discount ancient knowledge. So if a culture says, like I think in that case it was a Brahmin uh, temple or something. That there were nine of them. The the current one was the ninth. The others were all swallowed by by the ocean. Uh, and archaeologists said that's nonsense. And that tsunami came through and uncovered a couple of temples. Right. And, and I yeah, see that logic. It's like, news. well, you're you know this established history that you know there's you know this temple and the rest of the history says, well, hey, there were eight more. They just got flooded. And then you have archaeologists saying, well, that's not right. I right. can see his logic is saying, but why why are you saying that's not there? <laughs> like we haven't looked. Right. Right, and, uh, it, and because of that that one fluke tsunami, it it unburied those things, and they were like, "Oh, look, another temple." It's like you mean just like they said was there. And part <laughs> yeah. of it too, with with things that are buried, especially in the oceans, is that it's 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 not just water that's on top of these things, yeah. right? And there's also yeah. sediment, and you know, rocks could you know can get shifted around and and stuff like that. Sure, it's yeah. I was I was thinking that too. Like I think people don't have. A good, uh, I say a lot of people who aren't in, you know, the specific fields, I don't think they have a good idea of how difficult it can be to, you know, map the, the underlayers of the ocean floor. Like the ocean's absolutely massive and it's, it's yep. not easy just to, you know, look at it and say, well, we just examined this like 20 mile track of ocean floor. Like it's not that easy to do. Like there's a reason they're still pulling runes out in the past few years that aren't even that far from populated areas yeah. that they didn't even know about. And that's the thing. Well, we know they next did that near Egypt a couple months ago. I can't, don't ask me to, I can't recall what it was, but I saw an article that they had pulled another, like a tomb out, mm. you know, just, just in the Mediterranean outside of Egypt or in the Nile Valley that they, you know, hadn't heard of before. But. Yeah. Oh yeah. The um and and the thing is water destroys too. I mean a lot of that stuff yep. just isn't there to find anymore. Um, yeah. The which is why Gobekli Tepe is so interesting yes, because yes. they buried it above ground. Yep. And and that helped protect it from the water. The and everything else. There's a one of the Lost Cities books from uh, David Hatcher Childress. Now Childress is not like Grant. Childress just throws out random ideas here and there, but he has traveled the world looking at these ancient ruins. And one of his stories that really stuck with me is that he was in uh, South America or Mexico, Central America, somewhere, and he, he's in this museum, and he's looking at this stuff, and he's like, this stuff looks exactly like the stuff in ancient China. And so he said something to one of the archaeologists that was there, and they said, well, there's no connection. And then he's, he's like, but how can you say there's no connection? They look exactly the same, like the designs are the same, the techniques are the same. And she, I guess she said to him something like, I don't study China, so there's no connection. Or something like that, just dismissive because that's not her field. Wow. If you see, the, uh, there are a couple photos out there that exist that are of painted uh, Mesoamerican uh, ruins, and they look surprisingly like uh, certain you know, uh, early Chinese dynasty um, buildings. It's really kind of interesting. Yeah, and you know that there is a set paradigm that these cultures had no contact, period. End exactly. of end of question. So if you suggest... Well, they look the same. And it's like, well, that's just coincidence then, you know? You have to you have to wonder, too, like how many are, you know, like the, the scientists you just talked about that, because, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these professionals, you know, their careers depending, you know, depend on their, their, how legitimate 
they appear, the quality of their work, the consistency they're putting it out. And, you know, a lot of them are very focused on what they know, which isn't a bad thing. But, you know, people suggest, well, this is a famous archaeologist. They know everything about every ancient culture, which isn't always the case. Right, right. You know, how many of them are kind of on that level where they don't want to look like they don't know something? So because it's not in their wheelhouse, they just say, well, that doesn't exist. I also you have to you just have to wonder how how common that is, which which is obviously can be very hurtful to, you know, the accurate study of our history. I think there's also a level that with Graham's notoriety these days and how it's built up over time, if an archaeologist came out in agreement with him at this point, it would probably be career suicide for him just because of how hated Graham is. Yeah, and I I, I think that, you know, again, I really do think it's unfortunate that Graham has put so, like, I wish he hadn't included Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson in there, uh, who, you know, I think Jordan Peterson, garbage ideas uh, uh, in general. Was Jordan Peterson in the show? Very briefly um, in one of the montages. And uh, a lot of Joe Rogan. And, you know, I, I don't think Joe Rogan is as evil as everybody thinks he is. I think he's he's just kind of a he's kind of a moron, honestly. Um, he guy. has some very interesting people on his show. And then sure. he has some people with some really destructive, terrible ideas on his show. And, you know, he treats even though I know he does take some people to task, not very hard. And he treats, you know, a lot of people equally. So, I you know, with the loud mouthpiece that he has, I do think it's kind of destructive. That being said. Graham doesn't have anywhere else to go. Um, and, uh, you know, all these other great people that um, Rogan's talking to, Paul Stamets, Randall Carlson, you know, on and on and on. Uh, I understand why he's doing it. Uh, I just think it's going to shoot him and, you know, like he's he's really like he's burned his bridge. There's no way he's ever going to, you know, and I don't think he needs to. No. Uh, but I, it is it is going to I th- I do think it damages, you know, if he wants to have legitimacy, it's it's gonna it's tough. <laughs> it's gonna you be got, tough. You got to imagine that point. He's like probably he's, beyond that. Right, point. he's probably running for the nearest exit sign he can, and that exit sign is people who will take him seriously. So whether it's Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson, I don't think he's counting their ideas or like how they stand in the community. They're just saying like, oh, okay, this person is listening to me. Yeah. They're taking me seriously. Let me just you know talk to them because yeah. I'm not going to get my, my head bashed in. And he probably could be a little bit more aware of his surroundings. But, you know, that has nothing to do with his that has nothing to do with his the other his ideas. You know, I I think it's separate from his ideas. Uh, Yeah, I think Joe Rogan. I mean, say what you say about Joe Rogan. I think he's still number one podcast in the country. Probably. Well, I believe because there are a lot of really popular things that are terrible and terrible. We're not going to even say, I mean, about, you know, Joe Rogan does. Well, it's already been said he has terrible viewpoints on his show, but, you know, probably from Graham Graham's point of view. If he's everything he does, no matter how legitimate or not legitimate those ideas are, he's he's already got, you know, a tsunami in his face. Like he's never going to be able to push the good ideas he has forward, at least maybe in his mind, because the mainstream scientific establishment has already discounted him. So there's nothing he can really do, because, again, we've mentioned it, that some of his ideas were legitimate and then were later adopted and he was given no credit. Yes. So he might be in that same, well, Joe Rogan's one of the most popular speakers, you know, mouthpieces that can get my word out there for better or for worse. So I don't, I don't think he's going for mainstream acceptability. 
but mm-hmm. more maybe that more people will hear me, more people will, you know, digest, look into my books, you know, maybe even yeah, just possible. help him financially that it maybe you, he will have that if enough people get on that tide of saying, hey, this guy's onto something. Then so, that might be because the only way you can force the mainstream establishment to really move when it's a social construct, when it's not entirely based on just strict evidence, which honestly, some of the mainstream community is like that being people. The only way they can really move that is massive public push where they kind of have to step back and say, uh, but they don't. All right. And I don't want to usually don't Joe Rogan, (laughs) but like for me, I found Graham Hancock. I found Randall Carlson. I found Terrence and Dennis McKenna. I found Paul Stamets all through Joe Rogan. So like, I'm not a fan of Joe Rogan anymore, but there was a point where I was introduced to a lot of new ideas that have very, you know, impacted me and and shown me a lot of things that I may have never seen, uh, you know, other than that. So I think for me, that's the only reason I bring him up at all is because without him, I may not have ever found these guys. I liked Joe Rogan on news radio. Just, uh, I was just about to say that. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, I have listened. I liked his stand up back in the day. I, 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 when I, I was have, a teenager. He stand up. I think he's a terrible comedian. He is. He is a terrible. <laughs> I, he was I, funny on news radio. He was but, funny as hell on news radio. Yes, everyone was funny as hell on news radio. But uh, such a good show. Yeah. I've only listened to a handful of his shows, and it's usually one that has a guest on. That that I actually want. I'm interested in like Graham yep. or um, uh, the Bob Lazar stuff. Yeah, either, of course, you the Bob Lazar stuff. Not because I was interested right. in Bob Lazar, right. but, but you got to listen to it. Yeah. Um, like this underground have, thing is now on kind of a big, big thing. <laughs> but did, didn't uh, Joe have Graham on with um, Michael Shermer and Randall Carlson? Yes. Yeah, that was a great yeah. episode. Yeah, it, that one was pretty, pretty interesting. Good. And, um, like the the mainstream is never going to accept anything Graham's saying. Not now. Uh, yeah. Because again, going back to Robert Schock, here's Robert Schock, who's a Boston geologist. This is a scientist who is presenting hard geological evidence that the Sphinx is much older than Egyptologists think it is based on the erosion patterns and yep. based on the climate data. Yep. And they will not accept it. Nope. Every geologist who has looked at it has agreed wholeheartedly with shock. But Egyptologists will not change the dating of the Sphinx because it screws everything yep. up for them. And that's that's the glaring absurdity of that, you know, mainstream scientific. Because it's, it's almost its own body. You have specific people, even when tons of people are agreeing by actually looking at the evidence. And, um, you know, I know you guys, you know, you guys are familiar and probably fans of John Keel, but, you know, I got to bring him up because he had a very similar later in life kind of cynicism against the scientific establishment for a lot of the same reasons as Graham Hancock. Where I think if you, you read become, his- You become so convinced. I mean, when you're doing anything like this, you yes. tend to get wrapped up in your own ideology and Correct. the things you're finding- you know, often just reinforce those things and you get beaten down by, by people telling you you're wrong or just not even paying attention or, you know, or bad mouthing you yeah. publicly. It's just it's that like, you do all this work and, right. you know, you get no recognition and that's, that has to be infuriating. And I brought up Keel cause he kind of, he named teasing the scientists. I think it was in either haunted planet or his guide to mysterious beings. He names them type a and type B scientists and he kind of calls them out how a lot of the people who are getting on, you know, the soapboxes discounting a lot of these, you know, weirder theories, you know, are, are what he calls type A scientists. And they are scientists who kind of, you know, they're, they're publishing research papers, 
you know, to the community, but they, they really, that's all they do. <laughs> yes. And they have to kind of keep their head up and they have to look good in the establishment because that's how they make a paycheck it's for the reputation. But they, they don't get their hands dirty. Like they sit in a university or, and they kind of just repeat the same theories over and over and say, Oh, this is right. Where the type B scientists are rarely even in the, you know, the peer, you know, conferences because they're out in the world doing work. And, you know, doing they have science. their hands there yeah. and they're doing science. And usually, you know, they get, you know, approached. And they're like, yeah, I don't have time for that. I don't care. Right. Like, I'm just doing my work. But, you know, be. the type A scientists, when somebody calls, you know, a university to say, hey, we're not experts on this particular thing. Can you give us a scientific opinion? You get the type A scientist who, you know, they'll just say whatever they think about it and say, well, I'm a scientist. So you kind of have to, for this reason, yeah. you have to do it. And he kind of just teases that, that so many of these theories were never even really investigated yeah. at all. Yeah. We just assumed they were because some type A scientist just laughed it off. And then later on a few years later and, and this has happened a lot in the century of the last century where it's reapproached and seen oh no that's a very valid idea and then they dig into it and they realize it's true and then now the new generation of type a scientists are like oh we had that idea all the time well, <laughs> like, it's really it's really important also to remember that we don't know anything you know i mean when yeah. it comes down to science especially we don't have the answers to what things are the, what science is for and what it does is help determine what something is not. Yes. And when you when you make assumptions or you know you f- quote unquote figure something out about the world or about you know human history or archaeology or anything and it becomes sort of the established truth it science is the, the the job of science is to come along and break that down in order to help it become something new and then it has to happen again and again and again that's the only way we improve. Science is a method and it's, yeah, it's exactly. people forget that it's mm-hmm. about, it's about, uh, you, you repeatedly, uh, you repeatedly fail to disprove. It's not that you ever prove every, anything no, very seldom, very I- infinitesimal, you know, comparatively are the times when something is actually proven. What happens yeah. is that things are repeatedly dis, you repeatedly, you repeatedly, it's falsification. You repeatedly, uh, the, the, you, you cannot disprove it. And that's when something becomes a theory rather than a hypothesis. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's really the way that people should be looking at it. But again, science, the, and even that term has become, uh, it's become a belief system. Yeah, so exactly like something that's, that's different. You know, I feel like science should be a verb. You're, you know, like it's something that you do. It's not something yes. that you are. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, it's a frame of mind. And I think people think, well, a scientist is like this specific, you know, person on this pinnacle in a lab. And it's not entirely true. Like, you know, it's science, as you said, science is a method. It's a way of thinking and looking at the world and, and approaching things with that method and that can run a spectrum of you know from the amateur to the guy in the field who's a lifetime of work and experience it is indeed a method and And if you shift into belief and justification of personal ideals over that method you're no longer acting like a scientist you also have the the concept and i I believe graham's mentioned it before the the one coffin at a time progress in science where you know newer people coming in are more open to new ideas, but those ideas aren't going to get anywhere until the established people who aren't willing to look at new ideas die or step down. Um, and it's unfortunate. That's sad. Yeah, that same thing will happen in the future too to those people who are bringing in newer ideas. Yes, eventually they're going to be the ones holding out too. 
unless we do something to to fix it and i don't see that happening but i think it's you human know in nature i suppose if we're if we're around uh as as a civilization 50 100 years from now uh, I think Graham Hancock will be vindicated. I think a lot, not all of it, but I think a lot of his stuff, people will be like, well, why didn't they listen to this guy? Look at this. They attacked him, They, you know, and so on and so forth. And yep. they, and he was right. Why weren't they listening? Yeah, I think I'd agree every, with that. this should be like a cue to every like flesh and blood Bigfoot guy who's going out in the woods in camo trying to find a monkey. The academics are going to look at you the same way that they look at Graham. There's not going to be, even if you find a body, I don't think you will, but even if you find a body, I don't think they're going to just change their minds. And if they do, you're not going to get credit for it. They'll take that and they will yeah. make that their own discovery. But, you know, who are the guys looking for Bigfoot? They're, they're regular guys, plumbers, construction yeah. workers, you know, they're not going to get the credit that they think they're going to get by discovering Bigfoot. Well, I think, bring I, up Ivan Sanderson. I, I think I think if you found a body, that might be one of the few ways. A body, or you got a, had a living one, that might be one of the few ways you could you could change the establishment on an idea like Bigfoot. And there was I don't know how valid this is, but it reminds me of um, you know Ivan T. Sanderson, who's kind of like the the godfather of Bigfoot research. Oh yeah. And uh, I was reading a, a story. You know, I guess it must have been back in the 60s or 70s when they supposedly found the corpse of a Bigfoot somebody had on display. And they had several leading experts in the field. They went out there and they did tests on it. And, you know, they even named it a new kind of hominid. Uh, and, you know, they sent it for the Smithsonian and they were like, no, this is legit. And they sent like professionals and then this corpse mysteriously vanished. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's. And that that is not the only time something like that's happened. And it, and it becomes a really, as time passes, a convenient way to saying, oh, well, yeah, it's probably just all a hoax or people were making it up, you know, 30 years later. But at the time, you know, you do have accredited people who do on occasion go and they look and it's like, no, this is legit. And then some there's some mechanism or something happens later where it's, it's gone. It's also possible that those accredited people were wrong. Of course. Of course it was. And that's something, again. Myths of time, so to speak. Yeah. But, but it is but worth saying. About missing evidence in Bigfoot all the time. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the, one of the things about Graham's special that I was kind of surprised at is his easy dismissal of rumors of giants. And I oh, I wanted to talk about the giants because I'm looking <laughs> at and he keeps going. Well, you know, they, the giants. Maybe they were giant in personality. And I'm like, why are you dismissing giants when you're when you're here arguing for the veracity of these ancient accounts being exactly what they say they are, yeah, but the yeah, giants part you're throwing out, and I'm thinking, is that is that where he's drawing the line? It's not so much whether he believes in gi that giants were here or not. I think he's afraid if he steps over that giant line, they're just going to use that to really, yep. oh yeah, go after That's definitely him. What that is, That's how I like the, the giant, you know, the idea of the giant, like this, you know, ancient civilization of giants that inhabited the world and. That's it's one of the weirder, but I'd say most compelling parts of his theory. And then he throws it out because he's not the only one. Because like we were talking about this in the last time we gathered together on, you know, obviously some of those stories of giants from history were probably hoaxes. Yeah. But there was a lot of ones that were not, you know, bones and skeletons that have been uncovered over the last several hundred years and historical accounts that, you know, really do breach different cultures, like a lot of different cultures and civilization you know, hundreds of years ago and, and beyond that do have these reoccurring, very established stories. And you have skeletons that have been unearthed, supposedly. 
lots but lots of stories of these skeletons you know i was reading a story about even the delaware native americans had uh, i believe it was you know stories of giants in all over america yeah so i think that what's you know he he some of the stuff that he's been doing with greg little has actually yeah. um you know i or at least it has i think from what i have heard has influenced him into changing the way that he describes that because uh, at least in the way that most people are reacting to it right now, when you discuss the giants, it's assumed that you're saying that somehow the mounds and earthworks couldn't have been built by the indigenous peoples of America and that it's uh, coming from like uh, a place of, you know, racism and diminishing the uh, native peoples. I, and I've also heard that I guess Graham, as opposed to other places where he's been, is not like on great terms with the the some of the native people in like around Serpent Mound and stuff. Too. Yeah, I don't know. I don't not to go. Well, that's that you're talking about. I'm talking actually about the 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 uh, like some of the the tribes around there, which I believe were. Okay. I'm totally forgetting. Uh, Shawnee, it might have been. Uh, I think. Um, uh in ohio there uh yeah that he's like they're not on good terms and you know um don't they have uh they don't they're they're not into him too so i don't know really what's going on with that but i believe that the reason why he distanced himself is because of that perception and i don't think that that's what he means neither do i think that that's what really when any anybody's looking into it i mean maybe some people are thinking it because people are always going to be racist but uh i i think that the idea of those giants was that it actually was an indigenous people of the americas well um yeah you also have to like i'm sure people when they hear giants nowadays they think you're trying to confirm some sort of like biblical reality yeah. Right. That was at least one, at one time very much a reason why I think, and we've talked about that. You've talked about that before, Soraya. Yeah, yeah. Smithsonian, you know, in terms of the Smithsonian stuff. Yeah. Um, but also- and that's sa- the same thing is true again. And I just wanted to mention this when people uh, have brought up this sort of criticism when he discusses uh, Quetzalcoatl and uh, uh, what is it? Viracocha. Viracocha. Um, and, uh, the fact that, you know, he is no longer referring to this as, you know, these, as them as having white skin, which you notice he doesn't in the, uh, in ancient apocalypse. And that is again, because he has been, you know, accused of being racist because he mentioned this in fingerprints of the gods. And that is because it's not his idea. This is stuff from, uh, you know, the, the Quetzalcoatl, uh, um, uh, being white skinned with red bushy beard that comes from Torquemada's journals. Um, the, uh, uh, Viracocha, uh, being white skinned with red bushy beard. That's like, you know, South American mythology from yeah. 1968 and, you know, all these other books there. So what he's drawing on is this, you know, this, ex- these existing accounts and, you know, you can call into question what those people were saying. Maybe they were being racist at the time and whatever, uh, however many hundred years ago this was happening. It's quite possible because there's quite I, a bit of racism in anthropology. I, but yeah. that's why he has, you know, uh, he's sort of veered away from that. But when you go back to the original source, it's not him making some sort of, uh, you know, bloodline type of claim uh he's simply reporting what happened you know or what was reported at the time right yeah you know that's it's complicated like you know uh, the idea that 
you know, he's not the person creating these ideas, but they they kind of come from an original source. Then when you get into some of the original sources, it gets truly complicated. Have you guys heard about like the legends of the moon eyed people from the Appalachians and like the West Virginia yes, area? I think so. Uh-huh. So th- this is actually an interesting example. And, um, you know, that's, you know, high strangeness circles. It's discussed a lot when we're talking about you dig into like Mothman lore and everything like that. How, um, I think it was the Cherokee, I think had the, you know, old legends of a pale skinned moon eyed race of humans that were essentially described as you know white people with really pathetically big eyes that you know lived at night and then they were eventually warred with them and then they were driven off and uh that they were described as white like caucasian ish but then if you go back into those legends and i did some of the earlier the sources of these things like this specific thing it's it's suggested that they did have these legends, but the additional qualities of their white skin and some of the other ones were perhaps added by some of the colonials that interpret interpreted for them or wrote their legends down, which had a more or less racist bent to mm. them to kind of paint a picture or elaborate on these legends. And this is like in the 1800s. And things like that. But again, it, it's very, it's hard to say where you can draw those lines or if, yeah, yeah. Legend I mean, or if somebody was, you know, sure. No, that so totally, that it was very much a part of colonialism. And he could have, yeah. and, and one of the things I think that he might have very well learned is uh, since Fingerprints of the Gods, which was quite a while ago. Uh, and if you look back at like the 80s and 90s, which I remember living through, like it was. You might not have thought to question that if it was coming from a source, um, right. you know, and I, he might have changed his worldview, which is you know, completely yeah. understandable, too. And again, if we want to be realistic about it, we have to understand that race doesn't exist yeah. and that yeah. what we're talking about here is we're talking about different people that have, you know, different uh, cultures that are associated with different. Uh, different melanated skin types and, you know, uh, hair colors that oftentimes are a result of where you were living and the climate you were living in. Right. Uh, And that many of these cultures have adopted a sort of identity based upon these features, but there is no such thing as race. Right. And a lot of times we're talking about it. We are, we are discussing the works of, you know, people in the last hundred years and other scientists and writers and authors who were still you know, knee deep in that assumed cultural attitude, yes. you know, whether they meant it, it personally, if those people had been exactly. the racist angle, but yeah. that was the world that they didn't you know, even literary and academic world that they were writing. It was just the Absolutely. foundation. They didn't even think to question it. And, yeah. you know, at the time they might even look to themselves as, you know, far from racist. It was the terminology and the mindset. Sure. So, and I think that, I think that whatever, at least I have seen from, Graham's uh, from what is in ancient apocalypse and at least how he's attempting to, I don't think that he's discounting what the, you know, indigenous people are saying. And maybe he, maybe he has in the past, but at least now he doesn't seem to be. I I don't think he ever really has. I mean, that's his whole point is that we're not listening to these ancient cultures. Mm -hmm. The, um, and you know, like you'll, you'll hear that, uh, you know, like, like well, people will research whether Vikings were here earlier or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is just racism. And it's like, well, if they were here, how is it racism? You know, if there are right. genuine artifacts from, you know, 900 AD that the Vikings were here, how does that, how does that make that racism? You know, yeah. like right. whatever happened is what happened. 
Um, and that's part of the problem with Egyptology is that you have this cultural identity with like the pyramids and the Giza plateau and all that. This is their, their pride of their culture. And you have someone like John Anthony West and, and Robert Schock coming along saying these were built a long time before the people who are there now were there. But, you know, that also doesn't mean that the ancestors or some of the ancestors of the people that came later weren't involved of in course, it at yes. that time either. Yeah. Like, and that's, and I, I think it's the interesting focal point. I think people will focus on certain things that are important to be discussed, but they'll associate that importance in one context with the message trying to be given. And, and what I get out of Graham and a lot of these varied works is that you have patterns of circumstantial evidence to suggest through very similar archetypical folklore and legend, similar stories are being told by very about very specific certain events, like in ancient in ancient times, a you know a heroic person arrived from outside that gave this post cataclysm ravaged civilization in one area lore from a parent or grandparent culture. Right. Which then and I don't think that's that's racist. It just suggests that, you know, if a culture's been culture's been disintegrated or they're trying to rebuild, you're getting knowledge passed on and then integrated and those people are doing that work themselves too. So I think people should look at it that way as well. Like it's not discounting any of these cultures. I yeah. think when people say, Well, you know, the Egyptians couldn't have built the pyramids because they didn't have it, so it was, you know, aliens or whatever. Right. I can see how that is that can be disrespectful, and I see that that point being made. But I think more of the interesting idea is that was there an influence in a, in a very physical way of an ancient culture of some sort, or maybe multiple of them from a a time we don't really have a lot of evidence from influencing newer ones. Yeah. So that's that's it for me. Like I think that's worthy enough to be interesting without discounting any of the works and legitimacy of the cultures and people themselves. And I think uh, Andrew Collins and Greg Little are looking at, is it the Salutrians or something like that? I can never say the, the name right, as being basically right. the giants because they were six to seven feet tall. Yeah. And at that yeah, time, the average, you know, like Native American and such and the average European was about five foot tall. So you had this other sub race of humans who may have been the ones that had this knowledge and who were essentially giants, but not 10, 12 feet tall, just giants. If you're five foot tall, a seven foot person is a giant. You know, I don't know sure. if, if you've ever stood next to, you know, like a, a, you know, like a wrestler or someone who, or a basketball player who's really tall, you're going, oh my God, you're like twice the size human I am. Yeah, I saw Big Show uh, in a uh, a match in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, yeah. back in the '90s uh, when he was just starting out, and that oh my god, it was like close too because it was uh, it was like an off what's what's the name for it, uh, Soraya, when it's off air? Oh, uh, match? a dark match. Dark match. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, god, he's so big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, when I met him, was he was like standing next to a wall, and I'm just like, oh my god, I had no idea you were this big. <laughs> And last last time we talked about um, how big was it Shaq's feet are? Oh yeah, his, yeah. his shoes being whatever twenty three inches or something crazy. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I was thinking uh, even Jared Padalecki, who's like Sam from uh, Supernatural. Like mm -hmm. my my friend Amanda, who's she's a very tall woman. Like she's like six three, and she's tall to me. 
And she did a photo. She they went to one of like the supernatural conventions and she got a photo next to him. And she showed me and he like is like towers over her almost yeah. like she's like hugging. She gives him a hug and she's like laying on his chest almost <laughs> and like how big wow. some of these people are. And like a lot we see him on TV and we don't really get it. Yeah. So the way they do, you know, they call him like moose in the show and you're like, well, he's not that big. But then you see him in real life compared to other people like people like him and Shaq, like they're really big. <laughs> Have you ever seen that video of uh, them taking Ed Kemper into custody and him walking with the other officers? No. Oh, oh it's no. surreal because he's a huge man. All right. Well, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Check out WhereDidTheRoadGo.com. You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons, because without you... This show would not be what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Bill Luminati, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K, Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K. Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. I thank all of you for the incredible support. And we're back on Where Did the Road Go? And I have with me, uh, let's see, Octavian and Chris Ernst and Ian and uh, Taylor. Hey. Hello. And we're talking about Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse series that's on Netflix. And I highly recommend, especially if you're not overly familiar with Graham's work. Yeah. Um, Watch the the show before you read the articles. Yeah. My, I, my <laughs> wife watched it with me and she, you know, she's, she's not, uh, this is not her bag, but uh, she's also one of the, uh, you know, I think most fair 
fairly minded people uh, I know, and uh, you know I'm biased, but uh, I think she is, and she was really, you know, really intrigued by it. Um, she thought that it was, uh, you know, it made a uh, an excellent sort of supposition as a journalist, you know, not a not a scientific uh, statement, but she thought it was a really interesting and plausible idea uh, that was told in a sort of beautiful and fairly respectful way. Um, and you know, I told her this sort of controversy going on and, you know, it was, I mean, only the only bone she had to pick with is the same one that, you know, I had about, uh, uh, Joe Rogan, but she was just like, (laughs) I don't understand why. Um, but, and she was like, really, I did. She's like, I don't understand why they caught, why they think this is racist or dangerous. This, you know, and that's the other thing, um, calling it dangerous. Yeah. I don't, I don't get that. How is it dangerous to, to ask questions or say, or ask who allowed this show to exist? Like, again, it's, yeah, again, it's, really they're, that. they're bringing it back again to this, to this, you know, I think understandable paranoia that exists about white supremacy and racism and the erasure of indigenous culture and colonialism. And yeah, I mean, there's a big reckoning that we have to have with that, but I don't think this is it. You know, I also um, think they're they're very afraid. Uh, Like there's this, I don't want to even call it an awaken an awakening, but this idea that experts shouldn't be experts so that we don't need experts. I think that a lot of establishment is afraid that that's what this show is promoting. Yes. And I think that's a very big threat to them. Yes. And you know, they they could have validity. They made this monster, (laughs) but they did. And that's, I mean, we're in a, we're in that time, but you know, we've been talking about that for a while. I kind of wanted to bring up in the earlier part of the episode, but you know, just even the first part of ancient apocalypse, or I don't want to butcher it. Is it Gunung Padang? The oh, Indonesian yeah. Yeah, site close, that he, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually, that was interesting because I did not know a lot of, what did you guys think about that? I, that, that whole site? I've known about that site for a while. Uh, and again, even there, you're getting a pushback from the archaeology, you know, from the official archaeology uh, acceptance there that's like, oh, no, this site is this right. old. And when they're pulling up things and carbon dating them to much older and they want to look right. more into it, they're going, you know, the, the government's going, no, I don't think that's going to happen, you know? And that's what frustrates me. And that happens a lot. Like they do that with, um, you know, they did it in Egypt and they yeah. still are in a lot of these oh, sites. Yeah. And I'd say that, you know, so far the biggest frustration and it has been that is really highlighted is it's just a simple human like, well, why just just look at it? Like, yeah. Open it up. Why? Why are you not? What is the the stopping point? What is the? Why are a the lot official of time, capacities yeah. not just looking at it and seeing what it is? And a lot of times it has to do, at least in the experience that I had firsthand with uh, a you know a, I think a, a false version of this uh, when I was out in uh, outside of Sarajevo in uh, Visoko near the quote-unquote Bosnian pyramids, which, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who founded those, Smiris Monagic, he, he is a, a charlatan. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I, he can come after me if he wants for that. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's trying to make money, and he's not, you know, uh, it's quite possible that some of the stuff that was there could have been, you know, a uh, earthworked. Uh, like, you know, this is, again, we have these uh, uh, hills that look vaguely like pyramids and then uh, a culture that was there uh, a long time ago sort of shaped them. I still right. think that's possible from looking at it. But, you know, what he is, what the whole thing that Samir is saying is crazy. Anyway, 
from being there and talking to the officials and talking about sort of everything, even with very, very, you know, uh, it, it was there was enough sort of weird evidence that I think it possibly you might want to look into it. Some, you know, LIDAR could have been great in the so, you know, doing some sort of scan or something like that. But it usually has to do with uh, money and government corruption oh, yeah. um, right. uh, at the end of the day. And unless you can figure out some way to, I mean, I can imagine that if there was some way for like the, whoever owns that and the government property in uh, Ganang Pudang, or I'm, is that what it is? I no. think so. Yeah. That's your right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, uh, that if they were able to do that, even they might not tell the rest of the world what's there unless it can, you know, basically further money and power for True. the state True. and i think that uh, and that was very much the egypt case too. yeah yeah and that's very much the case in egypt i think it's the same thing yeah, um, egypt's crazy about in, it yeah. it's interesting because yeah. like there we're all kind of in this sphere like soraya didn't you say that the people who wrote the invisible gorilla didn't want to come on the show when you no, invited them no i never i haven't invited them Oh, okay. I said they I may not want to because they are actual psychologists and they may not want to be associated with a show that deals with the paranormal and, you know, stuff like that. But I haven't asked them. So, I, you know, I don't know. Okay. I thought you had asked them. But, like, I just I realized that I just realized that that could be a factor for them saying no, where they just don't want to be associated with something like this because it's not, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, reminds me of uh, the case of Dr. X from Valet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, and that, that really goes down to it is you do keep, it seems to be at the bottom of it is, you know, corruption and money, which is, you know, again, it really sad when you think about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you, you know, you it's know. also, this, this also just reminded me of uh, Graham Hancock when he was scheduled to speak with or debate uh, the guy who got kicked out of Egypt. He was the antiquities minister forever. Um, oh, Zahi Wass? Yes, no. Zahi. Yeah. And and Zahi, I don't know if he just like found out that day that Graham was going to be there or whatever, but he threw a temper tantrum and stormed out. And Graham's just yep. like, we were just going to have a conversation. What's the problem? You know, he was like calling you know, them names. Yeah. I think, oh yeah, or something like that. Is there a video of this? Yes. Oh, I'd like it's to like, see. You gotta say, like, what about this? This man threatens you so much well, that it's weird that they're not secure in their ideas I and mean, that's how it comes across in many it of does. cases definitely and it's like you know if you have ideas especially in science they should be able to stand on them on their own feet and then you shouldn't have to even get truly emotional about it like if it's you have the evidence it's pretty clear and it's backed up by research and work then you say here it is right and Wait, uh, what, you think it also, <laughs> in a lot of these should, places it's it's they're they're also I think you do have to look at it again through the lens of colonialism and that, you know, science by and large is going to be, if, and if it's money, it's going to be coming, unless it's coming from China at this point, it's coming from Europe or America. And a lot of these, you know, countries were once, you know, horribly ruled by America or, you know, another European uh, nation. And I think a lot of them just kind of want to, you know, part of it at least, and I'm not saying all of it, is like stay out of our business, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. um, even if it's just that a is- guy like Graham, you know, who's yep. who's yeah. who's from India, that can be valid. Yeah. But- oh, is he? Yeah, uh, he, he grew up there at least. I don't know if he was he grew up there. From, yeah, 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's fair. But, you know, then at the same time, I'd like to hear, you know, native scientists and professionals talk about it. Like, <laughs> I would, too. And they're yeah. often marginalized. That's the yes, thing. That's and the they thing. should not. And they don't have the resources to do this. Yeah. They're just trying to sort of survive. So, you know, and probably one of those, the reason, the ways to survive is unfortunately to become part of the larger international community that's more often than not governed by Europeans and Americans. Yes. And that's a, yeah. that's yeah. a third time this episode, I'm going to say it. That's yeah. sad. And I think, you know, I kind of feel like the energy of this episode is really focusing on how many, you know, problems are in the establishment, you know, going forward that, you know, we all, that need to be highlighted and fixed. So I think that. Yep. Whether if you know people today and how they're going about it, you know, in the in the public mainstream outlook, is the right way. But I think hopefully it will, as time passes, move to have these colonial issues and these and all the issues that are kind of were being highlighted, you know, in the microcosm of Graham Hancock. And hopefully going forward, they quit. You know, it gets better. Yeah, so we can well, just get down to the interesting parts of history and let people who, you know, their their lands that this stuff is on get to speak, you know, from yeah. their own perspective. And then everybody gets an equal platform to do so. You could try Graham's uh, suggestion is to have all politicians try ayahuasca 12 times. <laughs> yeah. 12 times. <laughs> oh, my God. Or mushrooms. He said mushrooms would do, too. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, Joe was like, you know, why don't I get some of these uh, official archaeologists to come on and debate you guys and have a real discussion? And Randall said, you'll never get them. They won't come. They, they'll say something like, uh, we won't lower ourselves to yeah. Graham yeah. and Randall's uh, position. And then I, the next thing I watch is an archaeologist basically crapping all over Graham. And he says, like, I'm not going to debate him. I'm not stooping down to that level. And it was just, <laughs> oh, wow. OK. Really want to bring back Teal's type A, type B scientist thing. I think it's pretty relevant. <laughs> or when well, Soraya talks about the difference between a skeptic and a debunker. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, I mean, the other thing is, as long as money runs the game, it's not going to change. Because, again, yep. you know, you study this stuff in college. You spend all this money for this degree. You then go out and get a job, and they're like, okay, your job isn't to reinvent the timeline. Your job is to just Sports kind of solidify the timeline that already exists. Yep. And if you can't do that, you're going to lose your job. You can potentially yeah. get blackballed. And so, and again, part of that is a money thing. It's you, your life. Yeah. So you, you can't even blame them in a lot of ways. Like that is such a common, that whole trend is so common. It's like a cliche that's in movies and books. Like, you know, the scientists who, you know, they discover something and then their boss is like, you're just going to put this under the rug because you're not here to reinvent the wheel, as you right. said. And it's, <laughs> it's like, you're like everybody knows that's how it works. And again, that's, well, well, I guess there's not an easy in that solution. Case, well, look, look, look well, what, we, what we would need is, you know, some billionaire maverick <laughs> to come in here and start start investing in uh, in other types of, you know. In, Unfortunately, in, all the billionaire mavericks that exist are like really terrible versions of yeah. Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, they did that with Skinwalker, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, but then they didn't really, you know, then then it comes out that some of it was a psyop and all this other nonsense. So, yeah. uh, but uh, what was I just going to say? There was something else about, uh, I lost Yeah, we it. should talk about Graham. Moore. Oh, no, I was, <laughs> was going to talk about Valet, because here you have okay. a guy who's a astronomer and a, com a computer programmer who's also investigating UFOs. But um, when he was doing early computer programming, if you read his forbidden journal, his journals, his forbidden science journals. Yeah, I've read them. There's the one point where he says to his boss, hey, I think I can make this computer. I, I think I can design something to search for words, not just like numbers. 
And his boss is like, that's not what you're here to do. And basically just, just blocks him for even trying to do, you know, to, to, uh, I mean, invent a search engine is what he was doing. All they could search for was numbers at the time. He's like, I think I can do this with words. I think we can put in in terms and search. And the guy's like, no. And then he gets hired by someone else who goes, Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely go for it. And that's, you know, one of the first search engines. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how valet got started in a different way too, where he was an astronomer. Or he was, you know, uh, I don't know if he was an astronomer, but he was at no, he was an observatory. Astronomer. Yeah, he was an astronomy he was, astronomer, yeah. and then he noticed that they had picked up these anomalous objects, and, we're and then everybody the at that telescope were like, "Throw it out!" Yeah, and he's like, "Why?" Yep. And he's like, "Throw it out! It's ridiculous!" And he never got a word. And he's like, "But you're scientists," and it well, goes right down to the core of it. Like what, you would think what they told That's him, bad scientists. <laughs> what they told him. Is that if France came out and said they had, mm-hmm. you know, they attract a UFO, they would be the laughing stock. Exactly. So until they wanted like, to keep their careers and their good name. And- right. And until like the US or someone came out first where it would be accepted, they just destroy it. And that's fourth time. Sad. But, you know, it's it's very similar in, in that idea that you have people who dedicate their lives to uncovering mysteries who are terrified of losing their livelihood to actually talk about them. Yeah, yeah. And I think, honestly, I guarantee that, at least in part, that is why at least some of us are in the business, so to speak. Like, that's unacceptable to me. And, like, you got to give it to people like Jacques Vallée and, and Graham Hancock who are like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> Whether I'm right or wrong. Is well, yeah, there. they have, I mean, both of those guys come from money to some degree, and that gives they them do. a little bit of a privilege. Uh, you know, I wish everybody could do that. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Again, it goes back to money, but well, those are, I guess, the realities of how it is now. But I guess we could talk a little bit more about, you know, the ideas well, actually, posited himself. We're, we're we're almost out of time, so we'll have to do that on a Patreon segment. We can, we can. All right. Um, but the uh, I don't, did 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 valet come from money, or did valet just make money doing computer programming? Uh, I think it was that one. Yeah, I think Grant Hancock kind of came maybe from it. No, uh, valet made money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Venture he, he capital. Because he was, yeah. he did. He became, he's a really smart, talented guy. And he was smart enough to say, you know what? Um, we're going to, you know, he's, valet made money. And he, I would say he probably earned the money he made. He's a, you know, he's a fiction author too. He's a, he's a smart dude. I, uh, and, uh, I, I will still never get over that one tweet where, they, where he was at some conference and they're listing off all these people, and they just labeled him as UFO a UFO enthusiast. Yes, exactly. UFO <laughs> enthusiast. Oh it's like, ah, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> and that's funny. He's the type of guy you probably like from different aspects of of life that he's involved in. You ever you probably have people who think of him as like the internet guy, and then you have the other people who think as a UFO guy who haven't researched him heavily. But because, yeah, I guess he, he's a pretty big deal in certain uh, tech circles. Too. Yes. Yes, he is. And uh, and yeah, it's, we should do uh, if you guys ever want to do a show about uh, some of Valet's stuff. I would love to be a part of it. Like I was thinking about that. You guys hear of his theory of Dr. X, as he called it from uh, Dimensions and some of his other work talks about the, the French doctor. Yeah. Back when he was younger, who saw those two UFOs. That's, one of, a, my, that's a, one of my favorite cases that he puts in. Oh, adventures. same, same. I don't know. Have you, have you done a show on that one already? No, no. Well, we should talk because <laughs> I'd love right. to explore and talk about that one sometime. Well, we could talk a little more about this in the Patreon segment, but for now, okay. where can people find each of you? Let's start with uh, Chris. Uh, you can find me here or brightrectangle.com or uh, films are on trauma now. And, uh, 
Amazon Prime Video at this point. And the two films are? Uh, Corpse and uh, The Hill in the Hole. Um, yeah, that's right. it. And uh, let's go to Octavian. You can find Ian and I at strangedominionspodcast.com or on Strange Dominions on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and now Mastodon. Mastodon. Okay. I just heard about Mastodon. I haven't posted anything yet. I just started it like a few days ago. There's Mastodon and there's Hive that have both popped up recently. It's funny that he, he said he had made a Mastodon account. And I read that, or he's, I, I don't know if you told me, but I had made an account a few hours before him and I had no idea what Mastodon was. Like, a, a, you know, uh, somebody I was following had made it and I just clicked. I was like, hey, why not? And I did it. And then he was like, oh, I made a Mastodon account. I was like, weird. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, some, someone mentioned, you know someone mentioned Mastodon and I went, the band? What? Yeah, right. <laughs> Brett Hines? What? Um, and uh, so, Ian, is there anywhere else that you can be found that, that, that he has not already mentioned? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook on just under Ian Burton, Facebook slash twice great or twice great one word. And you can email me. Honestly, I put my email a lot out on Reddit and things for people to send me their personal accounts of high strangeness and weird. And that's just, uh, it's nixian.hollow at outlook.com. N-Y-X-I-A-N period hollow at outlook.com. So any listeners got some weird stories of your own, uh, we're always looking for them for strange dominions. Cool. And we're always looking for them for this show too. So. Oh yeah, we all we we all need. <laughs> we want to hear. Um and uh, Taylor, uh, Green Lion Podcast, and uh, also Sigil Arcanum Tarot. All right, thank you all. This has been awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. We do continue this conversation in a Patreon only segment, and uh, also get another weird story from Octavian and Ian about something that happened to them recently, which was. Pretty interesting. So, again, check out Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix, Graham Hancock's new series. And if you want to become a patron and help us out, it's only $3 a month. You can do so at wheredotheroadgo.com. Just click on the big Patreon link. You can also donate uh, there. I find all our social media shows all the way back to the beginning, everything. And uh, all the Patreon content is, of course, available on Patreon all the way back to the beginning of that, too, in like 2013. 15 maybe or 2014 something like that i know we picked it up on it pretty early on patreon's existence so um we're going to take you out with some vrang vent i don't i think i only played this track once if I've, i'm pretty sure i played it at least once this is a song called turn to glass and you can find them at their website and all their their links at their website and it's v-r-a-n-g-v-e-n-d-t.com so if you like it, go check them out. They're a pretty cool band, and this is ta- is Turn to Glass. And I will see you next time. Thank you.
been listening to where did the road go this show is made possible in part from our patreons and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange you can always find everything where did the road go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and thank you so much for your support <laughs>